Today on Government Matters, a 10-year term for temporary federal employees. The deputy director of OPM tells you who agencies can hire. Federal employees' paychecks get bigger, but there's a catch. Michael Regas explains how the payroll tax deferral will work. And he represents more feds than anyone else in the House, Congressman Don Beyer, on how the payroll tax deferral will hit his constituents. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Office of Personnel Management has proposed a new rule that could let agencies appoint certain jobs to 10-year temporary terms. The new rule could help the government fill openings in science, technology, engineering, and math positions. Michael Regas is acting director of the Office of Personnel Management. He's the new nominee to become permanent deputy director for management at the Office of Management and Budget. Michael, welcome back. It's great to see you. Congratulations on your nomination. Easy question Thanks. to start with. What's that call like when somebody calls from the White House and says, we want you to do this? Well, it's always an honor and a privilege to be able to serve the American people um, and to have the confidence of the president to be able to help advance his policy agenda in the federal government. And uh, it's humbling, and I'm honored to have the opportunity to serve. The temporary jobs rule, 10 years uh, for now, extensions are available if necessary. What's the reasoning behind this? What will agencies gain and what will employees potentially gain by being able to ch take these jobs for 10 years as opposed to four? So OPM's rule will allow agencies to make term appointments in scientific occupations for up to 10 years, including medical fields, so that uh, scientific projects like the Artemis project at NASA uh, can stretch beyond the previous limit of four years for STEM appointments. And so this will allow agencies to just have a little bit more uh, flexibility uh, because of the ability to recruit individuals for scientific work, which is more project-based and not permanent. Uh, so the intended effect uh, of this is to help agencies recruit needed individuals for work of varying but limited duration and to be better positioned uh, to recruit individuals interested uh, in impactful work but of a non-career nature. So this, the, the NASA project, I think, is a great example of putting a man on the moon uh, it lets us hire folks we need for that, uh, but not necessarily for a 30 or 40 year federal career if that's not uh, necessary for that particular position. This is this is not a change from the 10 year, the four year to the 10 year, though. This is an, another option in addition to the four year temporary position. Is that correct? Right. Exactly. Yeah. This just gives agencies a greater amount of flexibility with respect to how long they can hire folks. Um, at what point? Where does this stand? Is this open for comment? Is this a rule that is ready to go? When can agencies start to potentially leverage this, Mike? The, uh, Francis, you know, I believe that is available now, but let me just, uh, I'll have to get back to you on that. I'm pretty sure that is um, uh, available now to agencies. A lot on your plate now at just in the OPM job, let alone the OMB job, Mike. Um, the paid parental leave restrictions uh, that are in place now, National Treasury Employees Union says they're burdensome. Is there some room there to make those less restrictive? Or are you satisfied with that rule the way that it is today? Well, yeah, I mean, we're excited about this new paid parental leave. This is something that the president fought hard for. 
um, and it, it works very well with OPM's mission, which is to recruit, retain, and honor a world-class workforce to serve the American people. Um, and uh, the regulation is now in comment period, so we are going to uh, take the input of uh, federal employees, the public, unions like the NTEU, and uh, take those into consideration uh, for any changes that might need to be made. Uh, but I think the regulation, like I said, is another example of uh, President Trump's leadership to support federal workers and serve American citizens. So we're we're very happy about it, and of course, we're always happy to consider um, additional comments on it. What's the end goal there? What do you want that to look like for employees? I understand the letter of it, having read it, but the spirit of it, what do you want to provide for federal employees? What's the end goal? Well, the goal that uh, President Trump has articulated is to make the uh, federal government sort of a leader in this area. This is a big initiative of Ivanka Trump as well, to ensure that uh, families have the opportunity to spend time during these very important moments, uh, like the birth of a child, uh, to be able to have 12 weeks of paid parental leave. And so uh, these regulations just sort of uh, enact that uh, statute, sort of put the meat on the bones on how it will work. Uh, but we're happy to consider um, that's why there's a, a comment period so that uh, other folks can take a look at it and make sure that it meets uh, the needs of every uh, federal worker. A lot of controversy this week, Mike, about a memo from your boss at OMB, Russ Vote, about anti-racism training and the kind of training that's provided all across government. Professional Managers Association and the Senior Executives Association have both said separately that funding should stay in place and training of some, time, of some kind should continue. What's the reasoning behind cutting that funding? Is this a permanent cut? Is this funding that could come back based on finding training that is more acceptable to the Trump administration? Or what, what, what does this look like right now, Mike? Well, sure. Thank you, Francis. Well, first, I would say, uh, you know, we can be very proud that as an employer, the federal government has employees of all races, ethnicities and religions. We're the most diverse workforce um, in the nation is over 2.1 federal employees from all walks of life. Um, what the uh, memo does is um, it takes one particular component of training that uh, the feedback that we received um, said that it was, uh, you know, creating uh, sort of enmity and division within the federal workforce and ran counter to our efforts to sort of recruit, retain, and honor a world-class workforce. We want to make sure that uh, training uh, works towards um, helping the uh, very diverse workforce that we have work together uh, in harmony and serve the American people. We have less than a minute in this part of our conversation, Mike, and I appreciate you staying around to talk more. But what, what will you look at regarding the training that's been used and what will you look at regarding potential training that you could implement in the future to decide if this is something that should come back either in the form that it already existed or in some other form? Yeah, I think one of the things um, that will be looked at in the trainings is to make sure that they are consistent with the principles of our nation um, and that uh, individuals are treated um, fairly and um, that especially with respect to the workforce that they adhere to merit systems principles and that people and their work are judged uh, based on what they uh, do at the office every day rather than uh, what uh, sort of membership or, or immutable characteristics they may have. Another issue, Mike, in the federal workforce that has uh, been controversial this week is the deduction of payroll taxes and that's what we'll talk about 
when we pick things up in just a moment. More of my conversation with Mike Regas when Government Matters continues. Welcome back. Agencies have stopped deducting payroll tax from federal employees and military service members this week. Employees could be responsible for those deferred taxes at the start of next year. I'm back with Michael Regas, acting director of the Office of Personnel Management and new nominee to become deputy director for management at the Office of Management and Budget. Mike, what does this mean for the federal workforce? They get this money in their checks now and then they're going to be on the hook for it come January. When What does this look like for the average federal employee moving forward? Well, thank you, Francis. Yeah, so for federal employees who make less than $104,000 a year, uh, they will see a deferral of their payroll taxes. Uh, the president has asked the Treasury Secretary to look for ways to make this deferral permanent and is advocating for uh, with Congress right now as well to make that uh, deferral permanent. So it's a way to provide some economic relief uh, to American workers uh, during this time so that they can have uh, additional funds in their pocket to be able to meet the needs of uh, themselves and their families. What what kind of feedback have you gotten from the workforce about the potential questions that they have about this? I, I hear and see, I, I guess, apprehension about whether that will happen. I, I understand that the, the idea that you're looking for ways to make this happen, but without a way to make that happen, employees are wondering whether they're going to wind up being responsible for this money at some point. Right. Well, the president has indicated very clearly that if he's reelected, he's going to work to make that uh, uh, payroll deferral permanent for uh, Americans. And so uh, we just have to look forward to that opportunity. But I think right now the important thing is that uh, American workers and federal workers who will be getting this payroll uh, tax deferral will see extra money in their paychecks uh, starting this week for federal workers. Um, and that we hope will provide some economic relief. Uh, to those uh, during these economic times. Was there a consideration to delaying this given the number of private sector employers that have said, we're not going to do this, we want to wait and see what happens in that administration-Congress dynamic until we go along with this and potentially put our employees at, at risk of having to pay back a big chunk at some point in the future? Well, yeah, I think we work with the uh, Treasury Department and with I the IRS to uh, issue guidance to employers on this subject. And I think they felt comfortable with the guidance going forward about how that would work. Uh, we were able to work with payroll providers to uh, implement it expeditiously uh, in order to provide that economic relief to federal workers. Mike, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey is now live after a couple of delays. You're doing it a little differently this year in two three-week waves instead of one six-week wave. When do you expect that you'll see data, and do you expect that the data will be different either content-wise, quantity-wise, any of that as a result of COVID-19 and the dispersal of the workforce? Sure. Thank you, Francis. Um, yeah, so OPM streamlined the survey this year um, and added a comprehensive suite of questions related to COVID-19 uh, while maintaining the core questions from previous years as well. So this will give us a better understanding of how the workforce um, is dealing with the uh, changing work environment related to COVID-19 with respect to um, how things are going on telework, um, how are school closures affecting their ability 
to do their work or uh, metro system uh, changes. So this will be a uh, sort of a, we'll, we'll have these results, I believe in November um, and uh, employees uh, just started receiving the survey questions this week so they can begin responding. And I would encourage uh, every federal employee who's watching to go ahead and respond to the web survey. You anticipated my next question, which is, are you asking about extraneous forces that are affecting the way that your employees are going about doing their jobs remotely? Yeah, so as we know, you know, COVID-19 has had a substantial impact on uh, federal employees in many ways, not just in uh, how we work, but in their lives uh, outside of work as well, which um, in some ways have impacted how we've been able to do work. So um, as OPM director, I've uh, issued a number of flexibilities uh, to agencies and to the workforce to help accommodate these situations that many employees find themselves in now with uh, either lacking care for uh, dependents or loved ones or um, having to change their uh, transportation or commuting patterns. Uh, and just we want to make sure that as these impacts are assessed, uh, we can see how to improve our ability to work in a telework posture uh, going forward or should another uh, national emergency like this present itself in the future. Mike, we have about 30 seconds left. Uh, you have a new member of the team at the Regus household. How's the onboarding process been? Oh, great. Uh, Mary Elizabeth was uh, born in July. She's uh, just hit eight weeks old. Uh, she's a wonderful, beautiful baby, and she is uh, starting to sleep through the night now. So uh, knock on wood, we're very blessed. Um, and so her onboarding process has been terrific. So thank you for asking. I would congratulate you on your nomination, but the sleeping through the night is far more important than that. Uh, so it's great to see you. Thank you for joining me today, Mike. Thank you very much, Francis. Appreciate it. Up next, a critic of the tax deferral program speaks out. Congressman Don Beyer shares his thoughts on the controversial program coming next on Government Matters. You're watching ABC7. Welcome back. You heard the new nominee to become Deputy Director for Management, Michael Regas, explain a moment ago how the deferral of payroll tax will work for federal employees. My next guest has been heavily critical of the administration's plan to do that for federal employees. Congressman Don Beyer, Democrat of Virginia's 8th District, is here. Congressman, welcome. Thanks for coming back on the program. What are your constituents telling you they're concerned about about this payroll tax deferral, sir? And the biggest concern is that they're going to have to pay it back in the first four months of 2021. And I think for the more sophisticated, uh, they, they will be careful to set the money aside. Um, however, the, the, the most sophisticated are, are not subject to the plan. And, and we specifically worry about the enlisted men and women serving in Northern Virginia uh, and the many government employees that are say GS 11 and, and lower who may be tempted to spend that extra six and a half percent between now and, and, and Christmas and then not have it when they have to pay double in the first four months of next year. You said this week that agencies will need to communicate very well with their employees about how this is going to work, what they will see and when they will see it. What would you like them to be telling their employees? How would you like them to try to coach these employees through this situation? I think the biggest thing would, would be to remind them what their paycheck's gonna look like 
in January. So right now, <clears throat> because of the other deductions, it's going to look like about a 10% increase. You know, if you were taking home, you know, $1,000 a week, now you'll be taking home 1100 But we need to remind them is that in January, it'll only be 900 or, or, or 875 and we need to make sure that people are planning ahead. What can what can you do about this legislatively? What can you and your colleagues in the greater Washington area do to work with your colleagues across the Hill in the Senate? Uh, Senator Kane, Senator Warner, Senator Van Hollen, Senator Cardin, to try to do something about this. If it is there a legislative remedy at all in this area? It's, there's not really. I mean, we have a House bill. Um, which could pass, but is not likely to be taken up by Mitch McConnell. Uh, as, as a consequence, I don't think that our leadership's going to spend a lot of time on it. One of the things that I asked Mike uh, a few minutes ago, Congressman, is that why the administration has chosen to pursue this when many private sector companies have said, we have the option to do this and we're not going to do this. We're not going to change uh, the payroll tax calculations for our employees. What's your sense of why that is uh, and, and why the, that employees don't have the option to do this if they would like to do this, or agencies don't? Yeah, well, I think when the president rolled it out on August 8th, um, he was hoping that this was going to be seen as a raise for everybody between now and, and Election Day, but the end of the year. And when the private sector overwhelmingly rejected it, I think he didn't want to be embarrassed. He wanted to make sure that at least somebody enjoyed the fruits of his wisdom. And he, they, they couldn't choose the opt-in, opt-out, because most federal employees would have opted out. And again, he might have been embarrassed. So by forcing everybody to be part of it, he can say, well, 600,000 federal employees and some indeterminate number of military folks um, have, have gained from this in the short run. What do you expect to do or see or hear moving forward about this? Or is this pretty much set in stone now, Congressman, and there's not much more to do except to help guide employees through it as best you can? Well, there are legal challenges, which, but courts tend to take a long time. Uh, I think the most reasonable thing is to assume that this is the state of play, that people will see their paychecks increase uh, in these two categories. Uh, and but then they'd better be ready to pay them back. You know, I was an employer for many years and people hate having their paychecks messed with. Uh, people don't even like it when they're increased uh, unexpectedly because they, they fear it's gonna come back to bite them later on. Congressman, I wanna shift gears for a minute and, and I wanna understand what you're hearing from your constituents who are federal employees about being called back to the office. Uh, some of the big banks in New York called employees back and, and are starting to call them back next week. They're already seeing cases of coronavirus in the people that are coming back to work. What are your constituents telling you about what they're hearing from their agencies about coming back to the office and what their concerns are about coming back to the office? Well, well the concerns are very clear, which is that they don't want to get sick. And again, the federal workforce is, is older than you would expect, certainly much older than the general population. We always talk about how 40% could retire within 10 years. So it's a more vulnerable population and they want to make sure when they go back to work, it's safe. Um, when, you know, if it's just one person per room and they have a mask on, that may work out fine. But you also hear stories, you come in and there's six people in a room and people take their masks off after the first 15 minutes. And that terrifies people. 
What do you expect to hear communications? While you talked about communication and the importance of it on the payroll tax deferral, what do you expect or want to hear from agencies about how they plan to do that, how they plan to bring employees back? Well, I think the responsible agency leaders will bring back the people who are healthy enough to come back, the younger, no pre-existing conditions, and make sure that the rules, the protocols are, are very clearly established about masks, about physical distancing. We know that working in a closed building for eight or 10 hours a day is a much greater way to get the viral load to get sick. You know, if you're in and out in two minutes, there's probably little danger, very little viral load. But when you're hanging around other people who could be asymptomatic, but spreading for 40 hours a week, you're gonna get sick. Congressman, we have about 30 seconds left. Uh, can you and your colleagues in Congress work on pushing telework, making it easier for agencies to let their employees telework? Yes, and we have been since the very beginning of the pandemic, encouraging it for everybody possible. I know I'm not bringing my people back until it's safe for them to come back. So one will come in on Tuesday and a different one on Wednesday. And the good news is they're working harder than ever before. And I'm spending more time with them than ever before through Zoom and WebEx and all the different um, places. And when you can roll out of bed and go right to work before brushing your teeth or shaving, you can get a lot more hours in on a day. Congressman Don Beyer, thank you very much for coming on the program. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every newscast by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to the number 22828. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 1030 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.